0: hey everybody thank you for joining us for today's episode of real estate disruptors today we have lauren hardy she flew in from orange county to share how she wholesaled 55 houses virtually last year i want to start off by saying a very special thank you to everybody that's been so patient uh we took the show off the uh off the air during the whole covid coronavirus crisis and so many of you have reached out to tell me how much you missed the show and the truth is i missed it too so thank you guys for being so patient and, and sharing the love. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, founder of the Offer Fast Homes app, the only MLS for off market wholesale properties. And I help entrepreneurs create businesses that support their family, lifestyle, and goals through mentorship. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. I get asked all the time how to become one of those 100 millionaires. So please allow me to answer it here. Uh, the information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. Uh, you don't need to pay for anything. However, um, if you want to shortcut that process two or three years off that time, you can always join us at sales training mastermind at disruptors.com. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a friendly reminder, I do not charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask this what it costs for you to listen to this show. If you get value today, please tell a friend. You can share this episode right now, tag a friend below, or tell your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show. So please ask your questions for Lauren to answer. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Awesome. So first question, what got you into real estate?
1: Well, I started out in real estate right out of college, but I really I. Yes, I've got 13 years of real estate experience, but I started in commercial real estate. I always assumed I would be in real estate. I think it was because my dad he actually was a CPA and a college professor. And he always said if he could do it over again, he would have gotten into real estate. Really? Yes. Okay. So that was always ingrained in my head. So it was like this assumption growing up that like I would just be in real estate. And I went with it. Um, so I started out in commercial real estate, um, b- very corporate corporate world. Um, I worked like the eight to five grind. Uh, but what got me into investment real estate, I got started in house flipping and I got started because I wanted more freedom of my schedule. I had just had my daughter, oh. and yeah, I became a mom, and I realized that it was really hard to juggle corporate life and also your newborn baby. Yeah. So I wanted to just be self-employed, and I really honestly would have done anything at that point, point. and it just happened to be that house flipping was an option, so.
0: So I want to take a step back here because you mentioned, you know, commercial, like mm-hmm. I saw you worked at Sperry Van Ness, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big outfit, you know, it's not a small, you know, it's not a, it's not a mom uh, mom and pop, you know, commercial brokerage. So right. you started there. My understanding in order to get started in commercial is you need to hammer the phones. Yes. So is that what you had to do?
1: Yes. So my like first day, for first month it was like they give you this big book Mm -hmm. of landlords like and these are industrial retail or office landlord building owners Um, you would have the like building like a little small picture the address owner's name or llc (laughs) name and the phone number and it was like go ahead start dialing so i had to get really good on the phones and in fact i was really good i learned some secrets and tricks just from that experience alone that I take with me today with my seller negotiations
0: yeah so I think that's really relevant right because yeah I mean it was just this commercial real estate thing but you have to grind Mm -hmm. to survive and you were there for how long
1: I did commercial real estate now this was in the recession so I started out in um, leasing office industrial retail buildings. And then I got a really cool opportunity with Subway restaurants and franchise development. So I I did that for a little bit. Um, And then I actually got a job with the Irvine company, which was a big, it's a major landlord. If you guys are familiar with the city of Irvine, they Mm -hmm. basically own like every piece of land there. Okay. So um, I got into construction management in, with that job as well so I bounced around in commercial real estate probably I would say four or five years it was right after right after call a little bit in college I started out with an internship and then right after college until I started my house flipping business yeah and I started flipping houses while I was working at the Irvine company so I was doing both at the same time for about a year
0: okay so let's talk about your first flip like how did you come across first flip
1: Okay, so this was awesome. Um, this was like right after, this was right after the recession. So we're, let's take you back to 2012. Okay. I, I, my brother was flipping houses. I told him, man, I love, your schedule is awesome. I need to do what you're doing because... I have this little baby at home and she hardly even knows who I am because she spends more time with the babysitter than she does her own mother. So my brother, um, he actually gave me some education. Uh, Back then it used to come in CDs. Okay. This is like before Rizuku. It used to come in these these CDs and I popped them in my car and I would listen to them on my morning commute. I deep dove into education for like a week and I learned the basics of direct mail. Yeah and that was my first seller marketing method. Um, So I started sending sellers letters and I was targeting just specific cities like in Orange County. I really didn't know a whole lot about what I was doing but at this time it was actually pretty easy to get a deal. There was still a lot of seller distress because we were just coming out of a recession. Well,
0: not a lot of people were buying.
1: Yeah, right? so yeah. So this is
0: like what, like 2011, 12, when was this? Tw- uh,
1: 2012.
0: 2012,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, there was still a ton of seller distress. So I landed my first deal, it was a condo in Laguna Niguel. And it was literally could not have bought it the better a better time because right when I bought it, the market started going up. So as we held it, the property went up like 10%. Right, which you was get awesome. the benefit. I got the benefit. Literally, yeah, it was it was the best. It was the best. So, that it was a condo. We fixed it up, put it back on the market, flipped it. I did it. I did it with my brother. So the first two deals I did, I partnered with my brother. Okay. Um, And then I went on my own from that point. And in that those both of those deals were actually two con. There were condos. Both happened to be in Laguna Niguel, um, and they both were sixty thousand dollar paydays. Each nice. of them. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine. I was like, oh my God, this business is so easy. Of course. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh my Those God.
0: Those HGTV numbers were actually real back they
1: then. They were back then. They were. And I was like, oh my God, this is like so easy. Like, I just literally made more money. Cause at the time in my corporate job, I was making like 55000 a year.
0: Really? Yeah. Even with Subway as a client.
1: It, well, it wasn't, It. I worked for Subway, but then at this point, I was working for the Irvine company. It was okay. just a salary job. This is still out of a recession. So, gotcha. like, the, it was hard to get like a salary job. So
0: you made as much in one year on each of those deals.
1: Correct. Now I split them with my brother. Sure. So at this point I had, I said, I will quit my corporate job when I have a full year salary and savings. So it took me a year to flip those two deals. Mm -hmm. At this point I had my second baby on the way. So I went on maternity leave, I had, my second daughter and then I didn't go back to work because I had the money and savings to right. be able to do so. Very cool. So I was on my high horse at that time.
0: So you said it was easy. Were there any challenges?
1: Yes. <laughs> right when I quit my job. Okay. <laughs> so, so I quit my job. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is so easy. Well, it what happened was Direct mail became like a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like this podcast called Bigger Pockets, and people are talking about direct mail. And all of a sudden, everybody's doing direct mail in my area. Yeah. And the deals were drying up. I was having sellers say, Oh, yeah, I get like three, four of these postcards a week. And I'm going, What? Like, I'm not the only one sending these now. <laughs> like, what is going on? So the deals started drying up, and I, it started to get scary. It started to get where. A couple months would go by, and I wouldn't be able to get a flip deal. And then it was like four months would go by, and I wouldn't have a deal in the pipe. And at that point, I was getting really worried that maybe this isn't a sustainable business. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that was my start, and it, it was it started high. I was on my high horse at first, and then you know I got a, a reality check. <laughs> well, that,
0: I think that happens to some people, right? I think this mm-hmm. industry, um, you know, there's a little bit of luck involved, right? Yes. So um you can have 20 people take the same amount of action 18 of them won't have any action right. right and then two of them will hit home runs and then they have this mindset okay i've got it i figured it out and then probably one of those two will actually make it
1: i i couldn't agree with you more and i would add to that that it's luck in location yeah because where i was was the problem I was, I, there was no short of hard work over here. Yeah. It was just, I was in a very competitive market and I came to that realization actually a couple years later and we could talk more about that later, but yeah. that's kind of where the start came from.
0: Well, let's, so you're talking about the deal started drying up, mm-hmm. right? So two months ago by four months ago by before, you had, before yeah. you had a deal. How long did you, you said a couple of years that you're just writing this out with direct mail
1: mm-hmm.
0: only to. a like only your surrounding areas only in Orange County?
1: I so then I started expanding. So then I thought, okay, well, Orange County, this is this is getting too hard. So I started widening the net. I started I started from LA, even like North LA, my my furthest deal was a place called Rosemond, and it was two and a half hours away from my home. <laughs> So that was like my first experience with like virtual, yeah. Um, and clear out to um the Inland Empire, so that would be like Riverside and San Bernardino County. Mm-hmm. So my net was huge. I mean, to get to like, to get to a seller meeting, it would take me like three hours out of my day to do yeah. one seller meeting. It was crazy.
0: Well, that's fascinating because I, I have a theory, right? One of the it, one of the reasons why all the iBuyers and everyone else starts in Phoenix and why there's so many freaking gurus here is that it takes literally 40 minutes to get to any part of town, Yeah. right? Like, it doesn't matter where you are, it takes you 40 minutes just to get to the other part of town. Whereas in LA or Orange County, depending on the time, depending on the day, mm-hmm. it could take you 25 minutes, it could take you three hours. Yeah, And that, so, that's crazy. So I, that was my suspicion as to why, you know, yeah. it you don't have as many big operations in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So you did this and then eventually you transitioned then into, is, is this when you transition into virtual or what, what happened? What, how did you get to virtual from here?
1: So my, my decision to go full virtual, I had hemmed and hawed about this decision for quite a while. I, it really started with a lot of frustration. So I was you know doing everything that these gurus and my educators were saying. I was a part of high level masterminds um I was going to seminars I was you know riding the education train that a lot of people do right mm-hmm. and but I was so frustrated I would go and I would see these other people closing you know five deals a month no big deal I would see people that had way less experience than me at this point at this point maybe I've 3 years into this game and yeah. they're newbies like you know in their 6th month of the business already at like a pipeline of five deals a month and mm-hmm. I'm going what the what am I doing wrong Um, So, it wasn't until I went to a seminar in Nashville, and I remember it was like, this just pushed me over the edge. I was sitting and not, like I had more experience than everybody there. It was about maybe 20 people in the room, and there were so many people that had under a year's experience that were already, you know, closing like five deals a month regularly. Mm -hmm. And I look around, and at first I was like, I had this inferiority complex. Like, gosh, is it because, I don't know, maybe because I'm a tired mom and I just can't put as much in it. Am I not working hard enough? Um, I started, like I was attacking myself personally. And when I sat in that room with those people and I asked, I started getting really deep with them. How many hours do you work a day? How many seller leads do you get? How many offers do you make a week? When I I realized that there's really only a few things that you need to measure. It's how many leads, how many offers do you make? How many contracts are you getting? How many deals are you closing? Mm Those four things, when I asked all those people in that room, I realized that my numbers were way higher. I needed way more leads to get to that end result of the closed deal. Yeah. So that's why I was exhausted. That's why I wasn't closing that many deals. It was that was like that moment where I realized, Oh, it's not me, it's where I live. Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> so, and
0: it makes sense for sure. Right. In Southern California. And okay. you know, I was I can't remember who was telling me this story. Uh, but it was a Sean Terry. He was doing a webinar mm-hmm. and he was going over his metrics and he was talking about the KPIs, just like we talked about, you know, how many leads do you need to have an appointment? How many appointment to a contract, how many contracts to close? Right. And he was sharing his metrics and like there was laughter on the phone on the webinar. And he was like, what are you guys laughing at? It's like, how does it take like 80 people to have one contract? Right? Right. Cause for us, <laughs> that's what we need to do. Southern California may be more competitive. Right. But in the Midwest, people are friendly. We got another buddy, uh, Eric Sage, and he was saying, and uh, we were in a mastermind, and he said like the reason why he loves in, in Birmingham, like here we call somebody and they're like, get the f off. Why are you calling me? I'm tired of this crap.
1: Uh, you're right.
0: And he's calling Birmingham. They're like, this isn't it, but we hope you find them. <laughs>
1: it's so true it is so true i mean when you talk to i'll tell you if you really want to get laid out talk to a california seller yeah they will they will chew you up and spit you out right and so i was used to that so going to you know these midwest markets that i'm in was i mean a delight speaking to those sellers compared to what i was used to
0: so you go this is uh, nashville right? right
1: that was my first virtual market
0: uh, oh, so you you started wholesaling in, in Nashville.
1: I actually started building houses in Nashville. That was my first virtual endeavor.
0: Wow. T- tell me about that.
1: So, okay. So I was in the Nashville story is started with a seminar that I went to that got me so frustrated that I said, okay, I need to figure out maybe I need to diversify. So not all my eggs are in one basket, so to speak, that one basket being Southern California. So yeah while I was at Na- in Nashville, I pulled up a bunch of cash sales in the area and I just drove around for a day. When I was driving around, I noticed that all the cash sales that were like six months earlier were like these brand new homes. I was really confused. I was like, "Why? This is like a brand new home. This could not have been a flip. And then I realized there's ha- like these old homes getting knocked down and new homes being built in their place. And there was like, if there was maybe one house, they'd knock them down to build two. Mm-hmm. So, I'd never seen anything like this. This, is, this does not really happen in California, maybe in the beach cities. So I was like, what is this? So I saw a construction site on the side of the road. I saw a guy out there, I pulled over, and I was like, hey, are you the project manager here on this job? He was like, yeah, I own a development company. I was like, oh, so like what's going on in this neighborhood, like yeah. what is all this? And he, we just started talking. And a cool conversation turned into us looking at homes that he's building in the neighborhood. I looked at like, I went on a seller meeting with him. I went on like three tours, looking at these new homes he built. And at the end of it, I was like, I wanna work with you. Yeah. So I told him, find me a deal, I'll find the money, you'll be my contractor. He was the builder at the time. Um, and you know, let's do this. So he actually got me together with a wholesaler. Mm-hmm. And I bought my first piece of land from that wholesaler. I believe this was 2015. And um, we built two homes in its place. And then I did it again on the same street. Yeah. So that was my first like virtual endeavor was actually just ground up construction. And how did that go? It went really well, actually. I would argue that ground up construction is much easier than flipping because with a new home, with ground up, I mean, there's nothing they can really lie about. Mm-hmm. It's in the, your first bid is, is what you see is what you get. I mean, yeah. unless you change your materials midway, um, for the most part, like the contractor should have budgeted for everything and you shouldn't have any change orders. No surprises. No surprises, but with a flip, you're going to have change orders. And especially a virtual flip with a contractor that knows you're not there, you're going to see lots of change orders. Yeah. So gotcha. Right.
0: So are you still doing that or what's what's the story now?
1: So after a while, I, I started – I tried flipping homes in Nashville, didn't like flipping, liked building much better. Then I I started just wholesaling in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Um, Nashville was just hot at this time, okay? Nashville was popping. Um, So I stayed there for a bit, but Nashville started getting so competitive. What happened was I was having a very difficult time being virtual in Nashville because I couldn't see what was going on on that street. So like I would do direct to seller marketing, a Mm -hmm. seller would call me and I would make an offer based off of just what I could see on Google Earth and what comps I could pull. But what I don't realize is that maybe like next door, there's house being knocked down and the seller can take my offer and then walk to that builder and go, hey, I want to sell mine too. What would you offer me? And of course, that guy's going to beat me. He's in right. front of the seller. He's, he can kind of probably be a little bit more flexible with his pricing because he's already got a job on the same street. Mm-hmm. So I kept getting outbid. Yeah. And after a while, I was like, this is just, there's got to be easier markets to do virtually. So I decided to try a different type of market. And this is really important when you're virtual, there are different types of markets. A lot of people don't realize this. A lot of, like my students, they um, they don't realize that there's different end plays in every market. And mm-hmm. some are better than others if you are virtual. I would argue that landlord markets are better for virtual investors. So I, I wanted to get into a more sort of balanced market, um, And so that took me to the midwest yeah and now i run a volume wholesaling business in the midwest and primarily we're selling rental properties to multi-unit landlord investors
0: so why is rental a better exit strategy for virtual wholesaling
1: i would say one is the repair situation that typically with a rental the end buyer is not going to really repair the house too much, they're mm-hmm. gonna make it rent ready. So the repair number is fairly low and it's very easy to estimate. Estimate. Um, also, a lot of these rental markets like the the houses, you basically are paying based off the rent that they support, right. so it's easier to comp. It's just easier, um, I would say, in, in in those ways. Also, the price points being lower, I would argue that an easy way to tell if a market is going to be like, easier or harder you know that's such a relative term or competitive everybody says my market's so competitive Mm -hmm. like go to california i'll tell you what competitive is yeah um the easiest way to see is just go look like at the average house price like type in insert city or insert county average house price zillow and zillow has like every city in there it does and it's like if you see that it's above like two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, you you're probably going to see that it's more competitive mm-hmm. because it's a more desirable area yeah um so i like the more midwestern like rental market type markets because they're the price point is lower so it's a little bit less competitive
0: yeah so how do you determine like you said you, know, you, you want to go after um the rental uh mm-hmm. markets there's plenty of rental markets right how do you figure out which one's the right one
1: honestly there's there's amazing places in the United States to invest. Everybody goes to like the major metros. A mm-hmm. lot of like the students that I speak with and the people that are interested, they it's like they all want to be in the same places. Yeah. And I try to steer them away because there are so many great rental markets. I would pick an area with strong values. You you don't really want, I mean, I personally don't want to play around in a $50,000 or lower territory. Mm-hmm. I want to see that the average house prices are at least $120,000. Twenty hundred thirty thousand, and then to maybe two hundred seventy five thousand. Yeah. Um. So if you pick a market that you're in that sweet spot, and the rents look in the same area and figure out what the rents are, a lot of people like the one percent rule. If it if, if it matches, if you can make a one percent rent to price work in that area, I would say that could be a really great rental market. But. Yeah. As far as what is a good virtual market, which I think is like the, the real question, I always tell everybody, you wanna search for the, um, the proven strategy or the proof of concept mm-hmm. is, is what I say. Um, so what does that even mean? That means asking around and seeing, you know, are other people successful in doing what you are trying to do in this market. It's that simple. Go online, go to bigger pockets, go to your group, say, insert city here, anybody wholesaling houses, I have a question. Yeah. See how many people raise their hand. I am, I am. How many deals are you doing? Right. See if there's successful people. If if they are six if there are a good amount of people that you can network with that are successful, the idea is well if they can do it, so can I.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, one question I have then is that we're talking about these other markets is do you have in a lower price market, uh-huh. right? Cause we say, you know, California's competitive because of the high prices. And one of the reasons why is because you have larger margins. Uh-huh. So, you know, for us, we target 15 K in Phoenix and I think a lot of part of the country, they're targeting, you know, 10 to 15 K is there a fee that you're targeting in these areas or is it the same?
1: You know, what I've noticed is it's not so much a dollar. It's a percentage. Mm -hmm. So what I've typically noticed is the wholesale fees are typically 10% of the end, the end price or the final sale price. So if you sell it to your landlord buyer for $100,000, I would hope your minimum is that you're getting is 10,000, right? So I've personally noticed it's more of a, a percentage versus like an amount.
0: Okay. So you don't have to worry if you're going in these markets that your your fee is gonna get compressed
1: no and I think it's a misnomer with California I mean a lot of people say oh but you get these big fees well not necessarily because what if you have a bunch of other investors that bid up the price and there's no wholesale fee yeah which is quite frankly most of the time in these seller like direct to seller leads that you're gonna get Mm -hmm. in a LA market LA OC you're gonna have that these sellers got 15 other cash offers that they can weigh yours against, and now the wholesale fee is zero. Yeah. So I'm a
0: I was in uh, the the conversation chain for closers Olympics, and I was seeing you know what they were talking about, and they were saying like in California that the amount the offers you need to make in California, there is just no room no. for mistakes.
1: Nothing. <laughs> There's no
0: room for like mm-hmm. you know a COVID happens. Mm-hmm. you're just screwed, right? Like here is like, okay, well, you know, our fee went from 15 to three. Mm-hmm. We're still gonna survive. right? But man, like they're just so freaking tight. I don't know how anyone, you know, is able to survive with that kind of stress.
1: They become realtors. <laughs> That's that honestly like a lot of the really? people that we're doing, like wholesalers and, and uh, was... wholesalers and the flippers, they become realtors during this time. And then if we, you know, if we see an adjustment, they'll go back into flipping.
0: Okay. Gotcha. So someone that's you know listening right now and they say, okay, well, I want to give virtual a shot. Realistically, uh, you know, why? Well, I, I, let me take a step back. What would someone need to do? Like they're they're listening to the show, they're getting beat up in their markets. Let's say they're in Phoenix, L.A., Seattle, right, where it's just more competitive. Denver. They're uh, all right. I'm I'm gonna give virtual a shot. What are the first few steps they need to take?
1: Well, I would say the first step is that they need to. Put in their mind and make that decision one hundred percent that that is what they are going to. do. They've got to go all in. They've got to go all in. You can't have you can't have Z's decision. Okay, like mm. you have to go all in. You have to make the decision that, in and, and that you fully believe that the amount of effort that it is going to take for you to wholesale houses virtually is going to be actually less effort easier than wholesaling in your backyard Mm -hmm. for me i was able to do that it took a lot of like it supporting evidence i was asking phoning friends asking people you know that were in other markets and seeing how much effort they were making and by effort i mean how many seller leads do you have to talk to to get Mm -hmm. a deal Um, after a while I had the evidence that okay it's gonna be easier if I go to a Midwestern market versus Southern California so the first thing is make that decision Um, and then from there you want to pick a market and I I think I you know I said it earlier look for the proven concept Um, there's a lot of people like they they want to like analyze this like they want to pull the cash sales to the ratio of the population because if there's if if it's if it's like higher, then that means that it would be less competitive. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's all these matrix. And they're just
0: going too far into it. They're
1: going, you're going way too deep guys. Cause that actually does not work. That does not necessarily mean it's less competitive or more Yeah. Um, a lot of like, for example, they'll say, oh wow, well there's only like 200 absentee owned purchases in the last six months. And the population is a million. To me, that's crap. Like mm. that's not good. That means that there's for some reason, and buyers aren't buying there. Yeah. Um, so there, you want to be careful with those kind of numbers. Instead, look for the proving concept. That's when you want to go network. Go to your you know your page. Go to you know Bigger Pockets, Wholesaling Inc. Um, all of the big, you know, groups and network and find these different areas that people are doing well in and search for the proven concept. Right. Um, Once you pick your territory, you know, then it's gangbusters. You know, you can do your direct to seller marketing. I mean, everything works virtually. Mm you know, people say, what's the best marketing technique virtually? Well, That's they, great, because that was my next question. Yeah, I mean, what's the next marketing technique? Okay, what's the best one? Well, they all work. Mm-hmm. There's no difference. You just have to get really good at the phone. Yeah. And I, I would say that maybe that was back in my old Sperry Vaness days of being handed a book of phone numbers that I got really good at, you know, talking yeah. to sellers on the phone. I, I think I'm pretty good at talking in general. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a life life commitment towards being good at talking.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Uh, all right. So let's go through some questions here. Uh, looks like we don't have as many questions as normal. So, um, Mr. Hull wants to know was raising capital difficult? I don't, uh, I guess probably for the flipping intended or developing in Tennessee. So how know, was that co- process of convincing everyone you were going to start developing? I in already, ha-
1: you know what? I already had the capital invested. I'd already done enough flips with them locally. So they knew I was good for it. <laughs> they knew that, like, I, I pay my investors back before I pay myself, and right. I I never not pay an investor back. You know my investors know that, so it wasn't that hard. Um, but I think in general, the broader question is like, is raising capital difficult? I would say, you know, it's a mindset thing. It it is if you think it is. Um, but honestly, there's a lot of high net worth individuals that are dying to make the type of interest rates that real estate investors can offer on an asset. That is a tangible asset that they can tie a trust deed to. That's secured. That's secured. Absolutely. And you can touch it. That yeah, exactly. I mean, this is it's crazy. I mean, people go nuts for this kind of deal. Um, uh,
0: let's see what else is there. Uh, yeah. So actually, a couple of these guys are in Nashville, so they know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so Daniel Moore wants to know what how much do you spend on marketing? So mm. monthly marketing spend
1: you know what okay I so I now lump in like all of my expenses because we are so it's not direct mail as the game anymore for mm-hmm. me it's more of your cold calling it's more of your mass texting which include its people mm-hmm. like I need people to cold call and I need people right. to text message um, I and I also have like acquisition managers disposition managers so it's hard to quantify I mean I would say maybe at least at least 12 to 15,000 in marketing mm-hmm. um, and I also I do online I do some web SEO Facebook mm-hmm. um, so I would say at least 15 yeah right
0: for you right so what if someone wants to get started what, what kind of budget should they be looking at
1: honestly I think it depends on what kind of budget you have um, there's you know the Beating the bushes, down and dirty. Don't have a marketing budget to. You do have some money in the bank, and you can do it. Um, obviously, it's great to be on that right side, but not everybody is as fortunate. Right. Um, I didn't have that kind of money. In fact, I started. I had no money when I got started. I started with a credit card. I literally like had to call Visa and like increase my limit, and that was like my that was my marketing budget. That mm-hmm. was my investment. Um, so I know what it's like to start from nothing. Um, and you can, What's amazing is like with cold calling, you don't have to have a lot of money. You just have to have the money to buy a list, um, and pay for an auto dialer. Uh, that's helpful. It so is. really, I mean, it depends on that's depends on how big your list is. I mean, right. you know, for a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred bucks, you could get a pretty big list that'll keep you busy for a couple months.
0: Right. And one thing I, I put this here, I forgot to mention this, but, you know, I was doing my research on you and I met you last year. Right. We we met at the batch office. Um, you came in to do Brent's Brent Daniels TTP podcast. Right. Uh, and so I remember, you know, it, it seemed like it came out of nowhere, you know? Uh, but then, as I was doing my research and I was finding out, actually, Lauren has been working really hard for a very long time. In fact, you were on bigger pockets uh, not too long, like, like four years ago, something I like think
1: that. So, maybe five years ago. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I think the point here is, you know, for some of these people that are frustrated that it takes how long it takes to get successful, how, how long it takes to get traction. So, I just want to emphasize, you know, it seemed to me like it came out of nowhere, but you've been at this for a very long time.
1: Uh, yes i have i always say in this business i mean it used to i used to get so frustrated at like the people that i would hear on these podcasts and they'd be like oh how did you get started And they're like well like i read rich dad poor dad and then like i decided i was going to send some direct mail and then six months later i've closed 15 deals now i'm like making a hundred thousand dollars a month like that was not me i was like the total turtle like it's i i was a slow mover um, I did the best I could. I I did work at this every single day, and I improved every single day. But it was not easy for me. Um, I've been at this eight years. A lot of people don't realize that, but I have been doing this for eight years. Um, and I always say, you know, there are it, it, there is this like per, perception that I came out of nowhere, but that's that isn't true. And there's a lot of people that do come out of nowhere. And I always say the term "bright stars burn out the fastest." Yeah. And sometimes in our business, it's it's easy to like kind of feel inferior when you're, you know, you compare yourself. Yeah. I know because I did that a lot. And I know that probably a lot of the audience, like they compare themselves. Why am I not as good as Jack Smith in Indianapolis? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, because your situation is probably completely different than that guy. Um, and that Jack Smith might just be a bright star mm-hmm. who is going to burn out. He, half of what he's saying might, might not even be true. Right. So you really have to just you know, pay attention to what you're doing every day and that's that's what I tried to do. Every time I got those negative thoughts of feeling inferior, I had to remind myself that I'm on my own journey um, and so yeah, I mean it's it's been a wild ride it's, yeah. it's but been- I think it's an important
0: point like, you know I'm glad you are able to you know uh, extrapolate on it and um, you know control what you control right control the controllables. Don't yeah. worry about what everyone else is doing. Just control what you can control. And I think that's a, a, a big part here. Uh, so you're acquiring virtually, so you said cold calling, direct mail, texting. Um, how are you moving the properties?
1: Uh, well, right now, how we're, we're pretty dialed in where we're at. Um, yeah. So I have the boots on ground that are my boots on ground. I don't JV partner anymore. Oh, really? Um, and when I say JV, joint venture, I mean, yeah. um, or work with like co-wholesalers. Uh, i now we are the co-wholesaler actually Mm. like now people go to us even though we're virtual we have the better buyers (laughs) list now because we've that's great you know we're we're like really dialed into the two territories that we're in um but to start i would say um everybody should start by co working with a co-wholesaler or a joint venture partner i call them jv partners so you Mm. might hear me throw that slang around um i recommend starting that way don't try to do it all yourself don't try to do what i'm doing now when you get started in a virtual market that is like the biggest mistake that people make and they fail and then they say virtual doesn't work and it's because (laughs) you didn't know how to move that property
0: right gotcha so you built your own buyers list
1: we did um but at first we started with jv partners um so we did that for a while i would say our we worked with jvs for I don't know, I mean, at least our first 10 deals and then we tapered it off because the buyers started, you know, we worked on our buyers list on the side and there's, there's some technicalities there that, you know, I can get into, but it's super micro. Um, but we built our buyers list on the side and then we started marketing our deals, you know, with the JV partner and it was just this organic process of yeah. then it turned into now, we have our boots on ground, we don't really need to share our fees anymore.
0: Right. And I think that's just a natural evolution Mm -hmm. for every wholesaler, regardless of whether you're virtual or not.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, Jason Toledo wants to know, what's the best strategy for closing at a title company or attorney when you're wholesaling remotely? So are there any different challenges when you're wholesaling virtually versus locally?
1: You know, you want to find the, the wholesaler friendly title company um, and the best way to do that is working with your JV partner. Your JV partner should have the title company that they use and then you start piggybacking off of it and then right. that's your title company that you use.
0: Makes total sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Leo Aguirre wants to know what is your why in this business besides the money?
1: You know, honestly, it's funny. I think having a monetary why is like the most useless why that you can have. I mean, I've tried putting like monetary goals up on my vision board. And it's like, those are just numbers. Like Mm -hmm. they don't mean anything. I don't feel like they impact me as much. Or maybe they just don't like resonate in my brain because Mm -hmm. they're just irrelevant numbers. Instead for me, it's like this fear of having to get a job. Like I have like my... I got in this business because I was, you know a new mom and I, my daughter, she from she literally from six weeks old was at a daycare from seven o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night. and I still remember like she's like five months old and I'm picking her up and she's clinging to the daycare provider oh. sobbing because she is actually more used to the daycare provider than me. And yeah. that was a bad day.
0: I say that's probably more the why.
1: That was the why. <laughs> Than the job. So, right. So, the why is my kids. Now, yeah. my kids are now six and nine. So, they recognize me when I, <laughs> right. they know who I am now. <laughs> yeah. But my own baby, like, did not know who I was. That's how hard it was to juggle corporate life. And I have that in me, like, if you don't make this business work, if you don't work, get up and work today and make money, you're gonna have to get a job, and then your kids are gonna have to sit at daycare, and I just imagine them like little orphan Annie's, like just at daycare, like yeah. <laughs> like eating crackers and like all alone. I don't know. I have like this like this like big like fear of getting a job, and that's my why. It's my kids. It really is. Just it's my kids, and having that. Work-life balance as a mother, and I'm a mm-hmm. single mother, yeah. so that's that adds a whole other thing of like being in control of my schedule has really helped with managing, you know, my custody schedule and being a single mom. Yeah. So that's my why.
0: Well, I think you can see it as well, right? In the, just the fact that your your handle is this mom flips.
1: Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah.
0: So, but that's good. I mean, you're very clear on it, which is something you know I think most people would would kill for, honestly to have clarity on their why. right? Um, so Tag Thompson wants to know how long will it take to get his first deal virtually? So let's just assume he's at zero. How long will someone at zero take to get the first deal virtually?
1: You know, I think it depends on the person because it depends on how much you let analysis paralysis get to you. What I noticed, there's this like evolution of, you know, the students that I coach where they're all gung ho and they go through my modules And then they freak out Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like they just get in this analysis paralysis Um, and that that I it depends on how long you want to sit there and overanalyze your business plan. I recommend analyzing your business for about a week, but I've seen people they get really stuck in this. So anytime I see people stuck for about a couple weeks and i'm like okay why haven't you done any seller marketing then i'm i start you know putting their feet to the fire a little bit and i call them out like hey you're you're overanalyzing this thing yeah. you got to go um, so if you can if if i could cut that analysis paralysis to like a 1 week mm-hmm. um, i i've seen students get where they get their first contract in 60 days and they're closing in 90 yeah. that's about the average for the student that does not spend 4 months overanalyzing <laughs>
0: And that makes total sense. So like, I mean, there's, there's procrastination or, or perfection. It really kills mm-hmm. a lot of businesses, even not, even outside of wholesale, just a lot of businesses.
1: It does. I mean, I always say per- perfectionism is actually another word for pro- procrastination mm-hmm. um, or pra- analysis paralysis is really procrastination. Yeah. It's really just y- their excuse To not doing the thing they're afraid of because they're perfecting their business plan or they're making sure they really, you know, their CRM is really dialed in and you know they have the perfect lists.
0: I know it it it, it pains me every time I see it too. Mm -hmm. You see it a lot, unfortunately. You do. Uh, Ricky Miller wants to know: Would you say in a virtual market, making offers on properties, is there something you'd recommend on, I guess, the process of making offers over the phone?
1: Honestly, yeah, I have. I am like really, I'm like religious about seller conversations. Um, I have my own script and my own negotiation techniques, mm-hmm. and I've honed them in from years and years of, in thousands of sellers that I've spoken with. Um, I am a very, like, I'm a people pleaser. I'm non confrontational. I was that newer investor, you're
0: non-confrontational i am
1: non-confrontational i'm surprised i am a people pleaser you'll see i'm very (laughs) likable you're
0: gonna beat that into me (laughs)
1: yeah yeah, trust me (laughs) you'll like me by the end of this um no i definitely um i didn't i was that newer investor that was scared to offend Mm -hmm. a seller with a lowball offer i hated it so i found ways to deliver offers in the most like non-confrontational just ease them into Mm -hmm. it and the first thing that i would say that i do and this is not just virtual i mean this is just giving good phone Mm -hmm. okay you guys should all do this and it doesn't matter if this is virtual or not um the first thing that i do is i just make sure you know that the seller likes me like that's number one is just be friendly Mm -hmm. and don't talk about price up front um There is this book, and I never can remember the name. I think the author should have came up with a better name because it's not very memorable. Um, But it talks about, like, the crock brain Mm -hmm. and, like, how somebody remembers this book or read it. It's, like, red and white. I think it's called Pitch Anything. I think it's called Pitch Anything. And it talks about, like, how, okay, you're, like, surprising a seller out of the blue, cold calling them or texting them. Mm -hmm. And they are like on the defense okay that's their croc brain it's very primal think of like Mm -hmm. a crocodile and they're like gonna bite your head off okay they're they're very like unsure of who you are so that is not a time in that first conversation to discuss something as personal as price on their home Uh, that is i don't know like a lot of people make that mistake
0: well i think they make that mistake because the sellers ask for their price
1: yes And I mean, if they if they flat out ask, I say, you know, I need to know more about the home, and then I start going into the conversation. Right in the first conversations, I just want the seller to like me. Mm -hmm. That's it. And I tell my acquisitions people, they just need to like you. They need to know your name. You need to know their name, what their plans for the home was, why they're selling, why, what their dog's name is that's barking in the background, and what breed. Like, Mm -hmm. I want you to develop some kind of like rapport that you can put in the database and our CRM that you can then go back to. So if it's like, oh, I, you know, how was that trip you went on, you know, that you said, how was that, I don't know, how was your cruise or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like something that you can draw back on in the next conversation. Cause the next conversation is when their guard's going to be down a little bit, cause they already like you from the first right, one. And built rapport. Built rapport, now you're going to talk about price. Um, so that's how I recommend it is get them to like you first, you wanna go back, come up with an offer price. And I like to develop, uh, I like to offer more of it in a price range versus, I'm gonna offer you $75,000 for your home. Instead, I like to say, it looks like investors are buying homes in this area for between, I don't know, maybe 65 to 78,000. Does that sound about right? And then if it does, if the seller bulks at that, I kind of, I test their reaction to that. Mm -hmm. If the seller sounds offended, then I say, well, look at, you know, okay, well, let me let me just show you a couple comps because maybe I did something wrong. Maybe right. I messed up. Yeah. Um, did you see that house on 123 Main Street? It sold for 60, 68. And then there's, and that's where you start pulling out your comps right. to support your narrative. Now it's, well, don't shoot the messenger. It's not my fault that your neighbor sold their house for 68,000. Yeah. And then at this point now they're mad at the neighbor. They're not mad at you. Right. And you're on their team, right? So that's how I like to get to the price. Well, I like
0: the part where you said, maybe I missed something,
1: right? Maybe I messed up.
0: Let me look. Let's look at these properties together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're as a team here. Yep. Let's look at these properties together. Absolutely. What, what did I miss?
1: I always say that maybe I messed up.
0: Yeah. I love it. It's great. Um, Daniel Mark uh, has another question. What metrics are you using to target sellers? I don't really understand that question. Maybe you do.
1: I'm not sure either. Um, <laughs> are you talking about like seller marketing? probably um, seller marketing is my guess yeah
0: daniel clarify that question okay uh marcus mac what lists are you pulling from
1: uh okay so well, let's talk maybe what are my favorite lists mm-hmm. um you know i so i am the laziest when it comes to these niche lists i don't like pulling niche lists they're a pain i don't want to go to a courthouse i'm not you are not going to see me like going to a courthouse okay or a city to pull a list i like your basic vacant list i like a tax lien um a tax delinquent or tax lien list stacked with absentee as well so they have to be an absentee owner that has a tax lien Um, and then i just love the absentee owner list that's like my all day that's
0: i think that's a very big wholesaling ink thing like just
1: just keep it simple, yeah. you guys. Like, I mean, honestly, I like, don't I got, overthink don't overthink it. I, I've gotten a code enforcement list. And it was junk. Like I <laughs> got no deals from that list. I was like, this is, and I was doing probates forever. Probates junk, never did, never did one probate got screamed at all the time. Why would you do something so negative? Yeah, you yeah go, definitely. Don't, you don't need that negativity in your life.
0: Uh, Joey word asks, if you, is there one virtual market that you think is especially right? to jump into right now? Is there one that you maybe have your eye for like a third market?
1: No. <laughs> There's so many great markets, you guys. And you guys, if I tell you like one market, do you know how many people, how big is your audience? How many people are going to listen to this?
0: Uh, we typically get about 7,000 people.
1: Okay. So 7,000 people, <laughs> at least 10% are going to go to like that market. So I'm going to go get, go to Yorksville Ohio. <laughs> All right. Great uh, market. <laughs>
0: Perfectly valid point. Um, Tracy Jennings wants to know, is there a population that you say it has to have at least this many people?
1: Yeah, you definitely don't want to, uh, I say this word funny, rule. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody laughs at how I say that word. Um, you don't want markets that are too small. You don't want like farm towns. You don't want like uh, the Appalachian Mountains or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You, um, I would say at least 250,000 population. I've heard some people say 150 is okay. I. I don't um, well I take that back I do there's one area uh, a 150,000 population and then the county next to it has 150 as well so you can kind of do something like that where it's like in the county there's maybe 150 and then there's a neighboring county that's really good that you can draw from if you kind of max out that county right yeah so you just don't want anything too small
0: and uh, I think Clifford appreciates the story because he feels like um, his first year was a lot of focus not as much activities Let's see, uh, Adrian, Nez, give you some love, definitely the real deal. Um,
1: Thanks Adrian. <laughs>
0: Jason Toledo, when JVing remotely, how did you protect yourself other than using any JV or assignment contracts? That's, and that's an interesting point because I recommend everyone JV with a contract. Mm-hmm but I've never used a contract for a JV.
1: I don't either. <laughs> I know, I'm the same way. It's like, you should do this, but then in reality, I'm like, I don't do it. Yeah, um,
0: well, if I have a problem, I'm gonna call Jamil. Oh yeah. I'm gonna call Pace and I'm like, what the hell happened here?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, for me, it's like the JVs that I've used have a reputation. A um, relationship. A relation, and they, like where I could easily call, like they, you know, other people recommended them to me. They know people. Um, yeah. So if they did, you know, if there was any funny business, um, you know, you could kind of out them, you could get them blacklisted a little bit, you know, so. So uh, Pace is
0: here, so he commented. Hi, Pace. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it's funny, Pace and I, uh, we had a a deal that we were doing together. Yeah. And um, uh, something went kind of crazy, not his Mm -hmm. fault, right? Like the end buyer. And we had to have, he said, you know, we had to have a principal, uh, come to the principal's office conversation.
1: Ooh. Yeah, someone's in trouble.
0: Uh, Kessa wants to know what. So, what what are the two markets that you're in?
1: I'm in uh, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Don't go there. Do you know how many people I tell that out loud? And then you guys are all like, "Oklahoma is the the virtual market." There's a lot of virtual markets.
0: <laughs> you know, actually, I've I've talked to some people. I was back at um at, in in Dallas at We Live. So March of nineteen, I was talking to some people, and they're like. Oklahoma is amazing uh, that there's no competition there.
1: Mm. I
0: think that's probably changed in yes, the last year and a half.
1: major. There's a ton of competition. <laughs> it's my fault because I go on these podcasts and tell people I'm in Oklahoma <laughs> and then everybody's in Oklahoma. It, it's actually pretty competitive, especially yeah. with the um, cold calling and the texting.
0: Right, for sure. Yeah. It's And I, I I know a couple other people that, down there as well. It's it's not as easy as it, as I had heard a couple years ago. Yeah,
1: and there's actually, I mean, there's, I tested out like smaller markets. Like I said, there was one I was like testing out because I just mainly for my students. Mm -hmm. um, 150,000 population. Amazing. Amazing. Like I was like, okay, so I got to make it's it's a market that I'm just dipping into and I need to hire before I get distracted on it. I need to hire more people because you can't. You don't want in your operation oh i'm gonna go to a new territory now everybody's spread thin you have to hire someone to handle the new territory that's another thing people make a mistake is they go they haven't even mastered their one whole their one virtual market and they already want to go to three yeah and i'm like no 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 like (laughs) then you need three people like you need someone managing that market yeah they're they're like little babies
0: well another thing too with, with too small of a market you know what we found in our program is if you buy you could buy the entire area very quickly
1: yeah all yeah. the data mm-hmm. yeah you run out
0: and it's just like okay what's next yeah. so mm-hmm. uh, i think that's something to be careful of uh i think this is a, a softball question i think you and i have the same answer here but what are your thoughts on paying for mentorship
1: i think that paying for mentor mentorship if you can afford it is absolutely the way to go so i personally paid for mentorship all eight years every i constantly still to this day i have a coach i think every business owner any business you know any entrepreneur should have a coach Mm -hmm. Um, when you go with a coaching program um, you you are shortening your learning curve so like you could go to YouTube University and what I see with YouTube University is it gives you vision but it doesn't give you direction Mm -hmm. so what happens is the people start getting excited and they get all these ideas in their head and it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna drive for dollars and cold call and text and like they're going like all over the place whereas right. with a program like for me i can only speak for myself i give you a roadmap. R- roadmap. i'm like here step one step two step three step four and like anytime i see my students like squirrel i'm like ah stop doing that like all and right. i'll i'll be honest with them. Like you are, you're doing that shiny object thing again, like mm-hmm. get back on the path. Um, so with mentorship, you are shortening your learning curve. You're getting direction and vision as well. Yeah. So it's very powerful. And I don't know very many people that are successful wholesalers that did not pay into their education.
0: Right. Oh, you have to, you have to. I right. think that one of the other things too, I, you kind of hit it on the vision is the clarity, mm-hmm. the amount of confidence you get, being able to say, Hey, Lauren, Here's what I'm thinking, and you're mm-hmm. like, "That's a great idea." It's like, "No, that's stupid."
1: Exactly, and I mean, I obviously like I don't hold back, and I can be a little like, "No, that that's really dumb. Like, yeah. don't do that," <laughs> you know. And I I will, um, I will be honest with my students. One thing, um, you know, I I notice that uh, with s- s- my students, it's not even following the direction. Um, that's the problem. It's more of there's usually a fear-based or an emotional kind of component that is stopping them from progressing. So I like to say that the part that really my coaching really pays for itself is me getting you past that emotional or fear-based mindset. Um, So a lot of my students, like a perfect example is I had this guy who was terrified of talking to sellers. I mean, he was so scared, like I could feel like, Hidden, like shaking, like (laughs) through the phone when he was telling me this fear. He was terrified of just doing a basic seller qualifying call. He wouldn't do it. And we sat on the phone on a Saturday, and I just told him, like, What's the worst that can happen? I mean, I was like a therapist. Like, Mm -hmm. what's the worst that can happen? You're not doing anything illegal. What can they do? They hang up on you. Well, what if I I don't know what to say? Hang up on them and say that you lost reception. (laughs) It's like prank calling. Yeah. I mean, maybe, like, it was the best thing ever to be stuck in a cubicle when I was, like, 21 years old at Sperry Van with a phone book. Because that was... awkward. Like that was very awkward, like being 21, picking up the phone, calling these old landlords that lived.
0: It's an amazing experience. It's right. amazing, relevant experience. What we do.
1: It is. It is. And it was very awkward. People could hear me talk like I was in an office, like they could hear what I'm saying. I sound so like I didn't know what I was talking about, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think like just having that like level of embarrassment, was so good for me, and I, th- I think that that was what that student was going through. He was just so like shy to talk to the sellers. Yeah, he got over it and had his first contract in like ten days after that Saturday session with me, and it was wow. like the best like ever. I was so proud of him. Yeah, and so yeah, it's all about like breaking through, and that's the coaching. I think the coaching helps you break through those fears.
0: Absolutely, that's what you're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francisco asked a really great question. So you know, you started slow in your career. You had a great jump start but then you kind of slowed down, had some challenges. What made you stick around?
1: Honestly, I'm not a quitter. I don't give up on anything. Like I'm really, really stubborn. And I think that, um, that is, sometimes it's a great thing. Sometimes I don't quit things fast enough. So I do have that issue. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's like a a double-edged sword. Like I, I am persistent and I will persevere, but I also sometimes am guilty of not quitting on people fast enough, um, quitting on employees fast enough, Mm -hmm. um, quitting on ideas that aren't working fast enough. I mean, that happens to me as well. So it really was. I put it in my head. I refused to give up and I still I refuse to give up.
0: Yeah. And I think that people ask me, like, what is the most common trait or characteristics we see from everyone that's on the show? And that's the one. It's that grit, It's that persistence. Like, I will not die. Right. Yeah. This is going to happen.
1: It's not an option.
0: Yeah. So I love it. Um, and then action Ari asks, how do you vet a mentor?
1: That's a really good question. So I think the word that comes to me is perspective. You want to have a mentor that has the same perspective as you. So this brings me back to my, when I was getting started and the mentors that I had, many of them gave me really bad advice because they did not have the perspective because mm. they did not live in Southern California and they had no idea what I was going through. They they were telling me, well, just send more direct mail. And I'm like, yeah, but I spent $10,000 this month in direct mail and I haven't got paid back. Like, th- that is really bad advice. Mm-hmm. And that's because they were taking their, their world. Midwest perspective yeah. to California. They had no business giving me advice. No offense. Yeah. But, that you know so you want to search for a mentor that has the same perspective so is this mentor does this mentor have experience in a landlord's market if your market is more of a landlord's market like does he or she have that experience in it yeah cool you know does she live in if you're virtual if you're like me you know you live in a high price area like seattle california new york like you want somebody that has that experience of like, yeah, I live in a high price area and I have to do it virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also the m- most important is the market that they're in. Um, like I can speak for myself, I have developer market, flipper market, and landlord, it's all three, I've done them all. Um, if you are talking to a mentor and they only have like a landlord market experience, it, it's they're not gonna have the same perspective yeah. and they might give you bad advice.
0: Right, I think that's a great point. Um, pace wants to know what book you're reading right now.
1: The Road Less Stupid. It's an amazing book. So good. I love it.
0: Yes. I uh <laughs> I picked it. that up a few months ago and I haven't been that excited about a book since Never Split the Difference.
1: Oh, same. It will I I've not read Never Split the Difference, but yeah. same. Like I'm really I love that one. That one and um Atomic Habits was pretty good, mm-hmm. but now this one is money. Yeah.
0: I'm going to have to read this multiple times
1: me too no I'm, I'm not done yet but I love it and I love the term dumb tax I mean <laughs> I can't describe like what I've done many times in my life like paid dumb taxes
0: and those dumb taxes are expensive they are They're not like a small percentage
1: oh yeah I mean no they aren't I, I, I tell people with in virtual like a lot of people that try to go virtual they pay a lot of dumb taxes mm-hmm. I mean these are like five-figure mistakes that people yeah. make because They uh, don't get a JV partner and they want to do it all themselves in in their first deal in a market that they don't have. They have five buyers on their buyers list. Like, but I'm going to do it all myself and keep all my profits, like all of what? Zero? Because you didn't know how to move the house. Like,
0: (laughs) and just for everyone who's listening to clarify, dumb tax is the unforced, unnecessary mistakes that we make because because we just didn't think more clearly.
1: And they cost a lot of money. They cost a lot of <laughs> so money. So they call it a dumb tax. Yeah, absolutely. I've made so many. I've made them.
0: Uh, all right, so we already talked, answer these questions. Um, Annie says, hi.
1: Hey Annie, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> uh,
0: I guess the last question, I don't know if you can answer it here, um, is people wanna know how much is your program?
1: I can't answer that, but I can give you the link or Steve, did you want to include yeah, your, you have the link, that's yeah, right. I'll post um, the link on, Post the link, right.
0: Cool, so uh, we answered a lot of these questions. So right now, what is your biggest struggle?
1: I mean, COVID was pretty, uh, pretty much a legit struggle for me. I would say that's like everybody's <laughs> legit struggle and it's not with business. It was more of um, having my kids home Um, If you guys, I don't know if anybody knows this, I was supposed to be on this like three months ago and COVID (laughs) because my kids got kicked out of school. I had to postpone this. Um, But I would say now I'm in a coaching role and I'm running my business and I have my two girls that are my number one priority. And I think that I am struggling a little bit with the work-life balance. I don't want my kids to go to the wayside of my career. And as a female, as a mom, like this is, and not just, this is not a female male issue, but as a, you know, a mom, a father, a mother, father, when you get a new job, a new career, although it's an amazing opportunity, and I I love what I'm doing, I am in that period of like, I wanna still make sure that I'm giving my kids everything that I was able to give them. So time blocking Mm -hmm. has been a challenge for me
0: and i totally understand that because Mm -hmm. for a long time i was really good Mm -hmm. you know i was working 30 35 hours a week right right all these businesses going but you know kids are first but man with there's even as an entrepreneur we keep adding more things to our plate and now there's that struggle for me too so you know i appreciate you sharing that Mm -hmm. uh what is your superpower
1: I would say my superpower. I've done so much direct to seller marketing in eight years. It's all I've ever done. And speaking, uh, negotiating deals directly with sellers. So sales and seller negotiation, everything direct to seller is. That's all I know. Sounds like you enjoy it. Well, it's just all I know. (laughs) So, yeah. But I mean, to be honest, I don't talk to sellers. I train people now, too. I don't, I haven't talked to a seller in years. I mean, I've always had, I've had employees doing this for at least five years i so. have been
0: doing this for a very long time. But
1: I train them how to do right. it. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. So, um, I want you to think about last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with. Uh, I'll make a couple of quick announcements. Um, guys, so we had our workshop. Well, last time we talked about on the show was three months ago. So, we had a workshop in April, got canceled. <laughs> uh, so, we're going to be doing it. Uh, right now, we're looking in July uh, 10, 11, 12th in the Phoenician. So, if you guys are interested in that, go to disruptors.com. And next week, we've got... Cody Barton, who basically made Pace, like Pace was nobody until he started working (gasps) with Cody. So we're gonna have Cody Barton here next week talking about scaling. Um, So last thoughts.
1: Well, gosh, I think I would wanna leave you, um, I don't wanna leave you guys with the impression that this was always easy for me and that I was this overnight success. I am the definition of a turtle. I, I did not have, this quick luck with this business and not everybody does so i don't want anyone to be discouraged if you don't have that like quick you know overnight success thing with real estate wholesaling investing and whatnot um i i truly believe that part of where i'm at today was a compilation and the compound effect of my habits throughout these eight years every day i worked every day i Listen to something that I would read maybe a chapter sometimes I, I don't have time for a chapter. I'd read a paragraph um or you're listening to a podcast real quick. and I always worked I worked at it. I made good choices and I have good habits. and I think that that compilation over eight years is where you know why I'm here mm-hmm. um, you know today. Uh, so yeah, maybe I wasn't an overnight success and that doesn't I, I truly, though, enjoyed the journey. And I yeah. think that anybody who's not in, you know, you're frustrated, oh, why why didn't I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then all of a sudden I'm closing <laughs> all these All the these money deals. just fell on me. Money, <laughs> yeah, right, you know, how come I'm not that successful guy or girl, you know? And it's, not everybody is. I certainly wasn't, And um, but make good choices, um, have good habits, work on your habits, uh, and try to improve those habits every, you know, every day. And you will eventually get there if you don't give up.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great message. So, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they get a hold of you?
1: Well, I would say following me on Instagram. Um, my handle is thismomflips. I'm sure we can put that in the show mm, notes. Yep, um, if you guys are interested in the virtual uh, investing, mastery program you have a link that you'll be sharing mm-hmm. i think those are the best ways to get a hold of me um also we can share my email yep. um if you want to do it's lauren at this there
0: you go that's her why that's it
1: this mom flips
0: all right so guys thank you for watching thank you, thank for, you for accommodating with the craziness and I'm finally making it onto the show
1: i'm excited thank you for having all right.
0: me thanks a lot guys
1: disruptus, disruptus, disruptus. See, we real estate disruptors